Good morning, Fervent Fam. It's Matthew Davis, Generations Pastor. I am so excited to be with you today. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about me. See, I grew up going to church. I loved church. Uh, I slept under the pews more times than I can remember. I enjoyed being a part of the church, being a part of the children's ministry, the youth ministry, figuring out creative things that I could do to support the mission of the church, even if it was giving the little bit that I had. The only problem was I was growing up to be a self-righteous little punk. It was bad news. The reality was I was a part of a church body that was kind of full of self-righteous people. We didn't know it, though. That's the thing, is it happened so subtly. And it was in the 80s, and there was just this, this uh, sense of uh, that we had arrived, and we were better, and, and we were just trying to show people how if you could just be like us, life would be so much better for you. And that's true, but we were looking down our nose at them instead of offering a hand to help them. And so what I want to talk to you about today is, is a couple of questions. Because, you know, a lot of times when we try to understand a, a topic, we look at the misconceptions of it to better understand it so we can debunk it. But with this, self-righteousness is the misconception. So we're going to ask a couple of questions and maybe get to the bottom of it to figure out how we can grow. First question, how do we fall into a self-righteous mindset? There are indicators. Here's the number one. We forget our own humanity. It happens. You see, we have a false sense of being far removed from the sin that used to entangle us. Now, I, I want to get one thing straight from the jump. Sin is bad news. It is destructive. It ultimately means death. In fact, sin is so dangerous that sometimes your personal sin can create problems and damage in other people's lives. It is no joke. You don't want to mess with it. But as a Christian, the longer you're in church, the more you feel insulated from that sin. The more you've been with Jesus, the, the further away that sin that used to entangle you is, and now you feel like you've arrived. And that's the problem, is we forget our humanity. So I want to speak right to that today. Check yourself, because it's important to know. Jonah dealt with it in verse 1 through 3 of chapter 1. One day long ago, God's word came to Jonah, Amittai son, up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh. Preach to them. They're in a bad way, and I can't ignore it any longer. But Jonah got up and went the other direction to Tarshish, running away from God. He went down to the port of Joppa and found a ship headed for Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board, joining those going to Tarshish as far away from God as he could get you. Friend, self-righteousness will cost you. Jonah was willing to pay a fare to get on a boat with a bunch of strangers to go to a strange land. My question to you, what are you willing to pay for the sake of your self-righteousness? It may be an actual amount of money to keep you away from people you don't want to be around, but maybe it's damaged relationships. Maybe it's a damaged connection between you and God. It is so critical that we ask this question. Have we forgot our humanity? Did we forget that we came from the dirt, that we have sinned, and that we were in need of a Savior? It's an important question to ask ourselves. Remember your humanity and run back to God before it's too late. The second part of that question is... is um, well, I should say the answer is another way we fall into the self-righteous mindset is we create our own hierarchy. We start to make our own rules. It happens subtly. We don't even know what's happening. In fact, we're usually the last ones to figure it out. Everyone around us, they can see it bright as day. But for us, we don't even realize that we are looking down a smug nose at other people in judgment all the time. We become the judge, the jury, and the executioner. It's bad news. At this, at this point, our arrogance is, 
our, our smugness is so arrogant um, that, that it almost goes out in front of us and people look the other way and try to dodge us. Um, they, they don't want to be around us. This happened to Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, 4 to 9. But God sent a huge storm at sea, the waves towering. The ship was about to break into pieces. The sailors were terrified. They called out in desperation to their gods. They threw everything they were carrying overboard to lighten the ship. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down into the hold of the ship to take a nap. He was sound asleep. The captain came to him and said, What's this? Sleeping? Get up. Pray to your God. Maybe your God will see we're in trouble and rescue us. Then the sailors said to one another, Let's get to the bottom of this. Let's draw straws to identify the culprit on this ship who's responsible for this disaster. So they drew straws. Jonah got the short straw. They grilled him. Confess, why this disaster? What is your work? Where do you come from? What country? What family? He told them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship God, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. See, Jonah was asked several questions. But what you need to understand is the way he answered those questions really tells a lot about the way he was still holding on to his self-righteousness. He had created a hierarchy that made him realize or believe that because I'm Hebrew, I'm better than everyone else. Because I'm, I'm close to the Hebrew God, I am better than everyone else. My question to you today is how often do you address other people's questions with, I'm a Christian, I'm better than that. I'm a Christian, I don't think about that. I'm a Christian, I don't talk like that. I'm a Christian, I don't listen to that. Yes, there are, there are things that we should do to make sure that we stay um, as true to God as we want to be and, 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 and do the right thing and, and make, maintain a holy lifestyle. But when we lead with, I'm a Christian, on social media or with our friends, we put them off. It's frustrating. They don't feel love, they feel judgment. So it's important. So those are the ways that we can judge if we have fallen into a self-righteous mindset. So how do we jump out of that? How do we jump out of it? There are initiators. Number one, drop the measuring stick before you yourself get measured. Let's jump back into Jonah, chapter 2, 1 to 10. Then Jonah prayed to his God from the belly of the fish. He prayed in trouble, deep trouble. I prayed to God. He answered me from the belly of the grave. I cried, help. You heard my cry. You threw me into the ocean's depths, into a watery grave with ocean waves, ocean breakers crashing over me. I said, I've been thrown away, thrown out, out of sight. I'll never again lay eyes on your holy temple. Ocean gripped me by the throat. The ancient abyss grabbed me and held tight. My head was all tangled in seaweed at the bottom of the sea where the mountains take root. I was as far down as a body can go, and the waves were slamming shut behind me forever. Yet you pulled me up from the grave, alive. Oh God, my God, when my life was slipping away, I remembered God, and my prayer got through to you, made it all the way to your holy temple. Those who worship hollow gods, God frauds, walk away from their only true love, but I'm worshiping you. God calling out in thanksgiving, and I'll do what I'd promise I'd do. Salvation belongs to God. Then God spoke to the fish, and it vomited up Jonah on the seashore. Jonah finally decided, this measuring stick that I'm measuring everybody else with, I'm going to drop it before God starts to measure, measure me with that wrong measuring stick. He was in the belly of a fish on the bottom of the ocean. My question to you is, where are you willing to go? What's the price that you're going to pay because of your self-righteousness? We jump out of self-righteousness by dropping the measuring stick before we ourselves get measured. Stop taking the gateway drug of smugness. It's not worth it. We need to love one another. We need to love others. We need to be the ones that welcome people into the family of God instead of tell them why they don't fit in.
powerful stuff. Another way that we jump out of a self-righteous mindset is we develop an appetite for doing God's work with Him. Tim Keller said it this way in the book, The Prodigal Prophet. As long as serving God fit into Jonah's goals for Israel, he was fine with God. As soon as he had to choose between the true God and the God he actually worshipped, he turned on the true God in anger. Jonah's particular national identity was more foundational to his self-worth than his role as a servant of the God of all nations. The real God had been just a means to an end. He was using the God to serve his real God. See, there is never salvation without substitution, and Jonah had forgotten that. Uh, It's it's so important for us to understand that. We can learn from Jonah that self-righteousness will create distance between us and God. And, and when that distance happens, we, start, we stop doing the work of the kingdom. We stop doing what God is about. We stop helping the people God wants us to help. We stop ministering to the people that God has put us in the camp of. And we're like, you know what? I don't have time for that anymore because I'm a little bit elevated and I'm not going to mess with that. So if you want to curb self-righteousness in your life, get back in the trenches, friend. Be what God is about. Do what God is doing, and that appetite will create another desire into you. Because when you look at one person and you're like, this person is sinful because you're self-righteous, what you've done is you've turned maybe one sinful person into two because now your self-righteous sin has caused another division in this relationship. It's powerful stuff. The answer is not to live with no rules, no standards. I'm not asking you to throw the rule book out and say, you know what? Holiness doesn't matter anymore. No, absolutely it does. We should be getting more holy every day we walk with Jesus. But the answer is to love people right where they're at. Let God handle the messy stuff. He's good at it. He's way better than us. So so we have to be about what God is about. Get that appetite for doing God's work with God's people wherever He has you. If He's asking you to go to Nineveh, you better be going to Nineveh. Is he, if he's asking you to serve in the nursery, you better be serving in the nursery. If he's asking you to jump on the worship team and you have the talent to do that, you better not waste any more time. The time is now to do what God is asking you to do, to be the impact in your neighborhood that he's asking you to be. So, friends, I want to tell you, it's simple. It's simple. It's time for us to look at self-righteousness and say, you know what? I'm out. that was awkward, right? That was just 30 seconds of silence. I mean, gosh, do I talk? Do you talk? Who starts? Did he forget his lines, right? I'm sure some of you were thinking that. But what I wanted to do was give you a small taste of what it's like to be someone who struggles with pornography. Because that awkward silence, while it was only 30 seconds for you, it's pretty much a lifetime for them. They're dealing with this this dirty sin, right, that they don't know what to do with. They know they want to get rid of it, but they don't know who to talk to. They don't know where to start. They don't even know what to say. So they just sit there, silent, and it's awkward. I know this all too well because my name's Carl, and I dealt with porn for, quite honestly, most of my life, until I found freedom about 10 years ago. And let me be clear, I'm not proud 
of the fact that I struggle with this stuff, but I'm also not ashamed of it anymore because God used it as part of my story. And also, let me be real, my story isn't that much different from the average guy's story. Early exposure as a young kid. I mean, back then, let's be honest, I looked at porn when I discovered it because I like naked women. It's that simple. And so growing up through high school, even through college, porn was no big deal. It was just something guys did. I mean, not just me, but other guys I knew. It was like, it was just a commonplace thing. Like you looked at porn because it was fun. But then when I got older, I realized that, man, this had become a real problem. Because you see, while I was looking at it throughout my high school and college years, my brain was slowly reprogramming itself. It understood that porn provided a lot of pleasure and pleasure can be used to mask pain. So now my brain would say, hey, Carl, when you don't like the way you're feeling, I have something that's gonna rectify that situation pretty quickly. So feeling anxious, I'll go look at porn. Feeling stressed, go look at porn. Feeling lonely, unwanted, unfulfilled, empty, whatever, you got it. Go look at porn. It wasn't until I got married that I really started to get semi-serious about kicking this stuff out. Problem was, I couldn't. I mean, I tried, but nothing worked. I mean, I might go a day, I might go a week. Heck, one time I actually went a whole month. But in the end, I just kept coming back. And eventually I started to convince myself that, man, dude, this thing ain't ever going away. You're just gonna be this guy that you don't like for your entire life. But then things started to change. It all began with a good friend of mine now, he didn't know me back then, but a guy named Jeff Borkowski. He was a pastor in a local church and he guest spoke at our church and he started talking about being all in for God. And it, it caught my attention. To be honest, I think it was because he used uh, the examples of poker and drinking Guinness that caught my attention. But re regardless, it, it grabbed me. And I said, man, I need to be all in for God. But then I heard his voice in the back going, dude, uh, you know what's going to get in the way of that? That whole porn thing. Right. So then I started to get a lot more serious about it. I started reaching out to some guys. It took me a few tries to finally find a guy that would be actually a really good accountability partner, but I found him. And we started working through things. I even fasted, right? And man, I started seeing some progress, although I didn't see lasting freedom at that point. But then, four or five months later, I went on a missions trip with, ironically, Jeff's church. And the organization that was kind of sponsoring this event, they, they had a training dinner. And at that dinner, afterwards, I talked to this guy named John. Now, his name was John Hibbets. I remember it, and I'll always remember that name for the rest of my life. But he probably doesn't know me from a guy in the street because from his perspective, what he said was just no big deal. But we started talking, and I asked him, hey, what do you, what do, you do with this organization? And he said, well, I do a lot of things, but unfortunately, I have to deal with a lot of pastors. And I was like, oh, wow, well, why would you say that? Let me, let me give you some context. Just earlier that month, I had started graduate school, going to seminary to get my master's because I was convinced that God was calling me into some form of ministry, although I didn't know at that point what that looked like. 
So when he said, oh, gosh, I have to talk to pastors, I'm thinking to myself, well, A, yeah, I get that. But B, I wonder why he's saying it, right? And he said, well, you know, the guys I'm dealing with, a lot of them are struggling with porn. And as we unfold their life and realize that they have some real issues, I'm the one that tells them, hey, it might be a good idea to step back for a season. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? What did you say? And then he laid it out. He's like, hey, in the scriptures, you know, chapter, verse. And these are all things that I had read before myself, but it just kind of went right over my head. But he said, look, you know, you shouldn't be in a position leading like that if, if your life is blowing up. And he's right. And I knew he was right. And in the back of my mind, alarms are going off, right? And the little dude's running around with his hand like, ah, because... Carl, you just dropped all this money on seminary. You're convinced that God's got a calling for you. And this dude who doesn't even know you, who's 10 years younger than you at least, is telling you basically, bro, know your role and slow down because you got some stuff to figure out. And I'm being edited there. <laughs> and, and, you know, at that point, it was a tremendous shift, right? My perspective shifted. And I'm not one of these guys that believes, like, you know, God's the the magic fairy with the little fairy dust in the wand. And you, oh, Lord, please take away my porn. And you think you're good. Like, I don't believe that that's the way it happens 99% of the time. Um, but for me, that shift in perspective changed everything. Because I went home and I started thinking and I was able to see that, hey, you know what? My porn use was connected to this lack of purpose I felt, this lack of meaningfulness. And then I went further and I said, hey, you know what? Gosh, this stuff I'm using to medicate my lack of purpose is the very thing that's keeping me from my purpose. Ironic, right? And so at that point, man, the whole value proposition of porn use changed because up to that point, anytime I thought about using porn, there was like this, you know, like the little devil and angel guy on your shoulders, right? And the one saying, hey, dude, like this is fun. You know, it's only 10 or 15 minutes, but you're going to love it. And then the other guy's going, hey, you're going to feel like crap afterwards, right? But they were both temporary situations, temporary pleasure versus temporary pain. And unfortunately, the reality is temporary pleasure wins 99.9% .9 of the time. But then now when I sat down, that little guy, that little devil guy, he's still there. Hey, dude, temporary pleasure is great. You're going to love it. Nothing changed. But now this guy, he had a whole new repertoire. And he was like, yeah, forget about the shame and stuff. Bro, if you go do that, you're putting your entire life on hold. I'm sorry, what? My life on hold? And now, man, the scale shifted dramatically because it was temporary versus basically forever. And I wasn't willing to pay that price, not for just a little bit of pleasure. And so I started being able to say no all the time. And, you know, now 10 years later, I can tell you, I walk in real freedom because my, my shift in perspective. And again, while I don't celebrate this part of my life necessarily, I'm also thankful for it because God's using it. You see, I've been working the past uh, almost nine years in this area of ministry, helping men and sometimes women uh, with their porn struggles. In fact, just last year, we launched a new ministry called Live Free. And the whole purpose of Live Free is to provide guys specifically uh, education and community support so they can find freedom in their life and realize that, hey, there's more to this thing than 
just this little temporary pleasure. Maybe you're sitting there going, man, that sounds good, but I, I, I don't know where to start. Like, I, I, I want to be there. Well, I understand, but I can give you three starting points, shall we say, that will help you get to the next level. First thing is this. Don't let shame keep you stuck. See, I know this all too well, but when you struggle with porn, there's just this intense, specific shame about it. And you don't, you feel, hey, I'm broken, and, but I'm so broken that you will never understand. Man, that's bull. I'll be honest, like we're all broken. You're broken, I'm broken, we're all broken. And while your form of brokenness might be different from my form of brokenness, it's all brokenness. Jesus died for it all. And he didn't die so you could sit there in your little shame prison not doing anything, right? He did it so you can, so you can be free. So don't let shame keep you stuck. Second thing is go talk to somebody or somebodies, right? Find a trusted friend. Tell them your struggle because I'm, I guarantee you, you will never get through this thing by yourself. That's not how it works. You need people. That's just not my opinion. That's professionals, experts in the field say, hey, community, accountability, these things, they're absolutely necessary if you're going to find freedom in this area. And maybe you're like, well, I don't know who to go to. Listen, go to our website, www.livefreecommunity.org. We have a community of men that are all dealing with this and are all there to provide encouragement, to get accountability, and to ultimately find freedom. It's easy. You sign up. You don't have to be real awkward about it because nobody knows. But once you're in, you're in with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men who are all in the same boat. They understand you. And, and that's a good thing, right? And the third thing is this. I would say get some insight into the true nature of what you're dealing with because I got news for you. It's not about sex. It's not about lack of control. It's not about any of that, all right? It's not, oh, he needs to just grow up. No, there's, there's deep wounds, spiritual, emotional, psychological, even physical. There are things that need to be healed for you to find freedom. You will not find freedom until you heal those wounds. All right, so go see a counselor. Maybe do a workshop. Maybe read a book at least to get started, but start to get some insight on this thing. The choice ultimately is yours. You can continue to do what you're doing, which doesn't work and is the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again, but nothing changes. Or you can do something different. You can reach out. You can join a community. You can stop being isolated and feeling full of shame. And you can start making moves towards real healing and ultimately real freedom. The choice is ultimately yours. I hope you choose wisely. Hey church, you know what Jonah wanted to do? He wanted to control the narrative. He wanted to control the story that God was writing for his life. Clearly, it was a hot mess. Clearly, it took a huge detour that we can learn from. But in my own life, I've, I've found freedom from control. I don't have to be in control of how my family grows. I don't have to be in control of what my career is. I found some freedom in that, and it has nothing to do with my ability or lack thereof. It's confidence. It's a confidence in a God who provides. So hear me, the, the opposite of control is not complacency. It's confidence. What I mean is this. I've let some people that have a paradigm, there's two choices. One, I'm in control of everything. 
I'm responsible for everything, it is only up to me. Because the other option is laziness, it is things just happen to me, sitting around waiting for God to do something, but that paradigm is useless. Those aren't the only choices. There's another choice. The choice is to put all of your confidence in the Father. And before I move on, there is a cost to releasing control. It might cost you your own dreams. Um, it could cost you some answers. And what I mean is you might have more questions than answers. And this one might hurt your pride the most. It might cost you some credit. Because if you put all your confidence in the Father and He starts to make ways for you, you find yourself not relying on your own network and who you know and, and your skill set, but it only speaks to Him because His fingerprint is on your life. Now, we're going to get ready to sing this song called Run to the Father. All it is is an invitation to release control. So whether today's the first time you're releasing control, or maybe it's literally the millionth time. The point is, your track record and your history with the Father is going to continue today. It's going to grow. The longer the history, the more the confidence you have in Him. So join us as we sing, Run to the Father. I've carried a burden for too long So I'm right. 
whispers.